She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I don't want to see images of kids being hit with tear gas and, and you know, women and people running from that. No one likes those images. He doesn't use tear gas in, in the Trump administration, uh, but a fraction of the number of times that the Obama administration used it, because uh, he's much more soft-hearted than uh, President Obama and his administration. But, uh, and yes, I said that with a straight face, because they don't use tear gas as much as Obama did. The House has the president's $5 billion in the wall. As you know, this takes 60 votes in the Senate. Therefore, Senate Democrats have a say-so in appropriation matters. I haven't done anything illegal. I've been targeted one reason and one reason only. I'm loyal to the president of the United States. I strongly supported his election. It's completely rigged and it's politically driven by Clinton yeah. operatives who have an agenda. And if you can't give them, Roger's right, if you can't give them what they're looking for to fill their narrative, they blow you up and charge you with a crime. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. It's exciting, exciting, exciting. So we are going to get right back into the show. Got to get back to my show sheet. I love it when a good interview spills over and we get to have a lot of excellent content. And I love a knowledgeable expert coming on to talk about what is really, it's a volatile topic. You can never be super like perfectly informed. You can only be as well informed as is possibly possible for a human. And even then you're still not going to know every little thing there is. But for him to say, you know, for, from a music career, I'm going to devote myself to uh, doing really something that's unpopular and can almost be a little dangerous if you think about it, because he's going into communities and saying what you know about guns isn't true. But then he's pairing that with information and training and he's making it fun. And he's really he's speaking to a community that there isn't anybody running around doing training specifically for the black community. Except now there is. And he's not the only one. You know, we've had uh, KD of NOC on, on the program, uh, Kevin. He's come on. And I actually met him at the Second Amendment Foundation back in Chicago a couple months ago. I met him in person, and it was a real pleasure to get to shake his hand. Um, they're, they're doing some tough work, but we need it because it, it, it just gives the left fodder with which to spread propaganda when we don't have ourselves properly trained around firearms, that's all it does. And um, they're, they're not interested in the truth. They're interested in getting their agenda through. So we have to be all the more wise uh, and, and really informed. And so it's fantastic. Um, right now, I want to turn to this. Uh, what, what, what will they do? What will the Democrats do under Nancy Pelosi in the House of Representatives? They're going to have a lot of power. What will they do with it? Democrat Representative Cleaver, Emmanuel Cleaver, he had a couple of words to say about this. And I was surprised, quite honestly. He seemed so like, I don't know if somebody injected him with calm fluid or laid back fluid or make a little bit of sense fluid, but he had something going on. Maybe it was injected into his coffee and he didn't know. Um, it's Democratic Representative Cleaver. It's number four. Not, not going to happen. In fact, she has said in, in our uh, caucus meetings before today, uh, that she didn't want to uh, talk to any of the people over those uh, investigatory committees about impeachment. I think there will be uh, probably uh, some government uh, oversight. Uh, they're going to, because that's what they do, they're constitutionally required to do it. But right. I, I don't think you're going to find uh, a lot of committees, like I serve on financial services, there is a committee on uh, investigations on our committee. Uh, and, and Al Green, the chair, is not, that's not the top. Uh, uh, issue on his agenda. I think you, uh, one of the things that's happening is that uh, uh, a lot of the newspaper uh, and TV uh, pundits are saying uh, the Democrats are going to, you know, investigate this and that and this and that. And when you get over and start talking to people, uh, yeah. they're, they're saying that's that's not what we uh, we're elected to do. And I don't think the people have voted for Democrats to put us in a majority to do investigation. And I think we have a constitutional responsibility for oversight, and I think we're going to do that. There's no question about it. Right. But just calling in for uh, investigation won't happen. Mm. Okay, so he's saying there isn't going to be a whole lot of investigating going on. He's saying there will be oversight. So the euphemism for oversight, obviously the, the oversight is the word they'll use 
to make their investigation seem more palatable. So it's not that there won't be any investigations, it's that the investigations will be called proper oversight, congressionally uh, executed oversight, constitutionally mandated oversight. That it will be placed and couched into soft, gentle terms. It will be sweetly whispered over the airwaves by people at MSNBC and CNN. And so many others will just joyously proclaim that oversight is something that is important. And President Obama never needed it, but Republicans need it because they're dastardly. And the Democrats will provide said oversight and they will do so. And uh, the American people will enjoy it because the American people want oversight. They don't want uh, help with the opioid epidemic or, um, you know, ending Obamacare and replacing it with the free market. They don't want the border sealed. They don't want a balanced budget or even a budget at all. They just want reconciliation and continued borrowing and overspending and record tax collection uh, and oversight. You heard it here first. You know, I and I'm not ashamed. I wrote an article back in January of 2017 and I mean, my editor at the time was enraged. He was so upset by the fact that I wrote the article, but he put it in the paper uh, and I said that Democrats were going to obstruct. They were going to do everything they could to derail the agenda of President Trump and they weren't going to have anything to do with, uh, you know, serving the American people. And I was right. And so now I'm calling it again. Democrats will take the reins of the House of Representatives and people who kindly and sweetly voted for them because they thought these people need to rein in Donald Trump. They're just going to watch them blow through, literally burn tax dollars, trying to trump up some Russian collusion or um, some any kind of crime whatsoever because they have still have not accepted the results of the election and they won't accept the results of the election. And if Donald Trump is reelected, we'll see them become even more deranged than they are right now. And that's that's my prediction. You know, I really wish that I would be wrong, that they would come in and they would actually address themselves to congressional work. But we're hearing the word oversight a lot. Nancy Pelosi saying it. Now you've got Cleaver. He's saying it and he's saying it so calmly. He's just like, oh, no, there won't be any impeachment. The question was, will there will you use the majority in the House as Democrats to launch a never ending stream of, of investigations? Uh, and he said, no, we're not going to do anything with impeachment. And the interviewer said, ah, but no, I didn't say impeachment. I'm talking about the investigations, just investigating him for eating a ham sandwich on a Tuesday. And he said, oh, no, we're not. We're going to we're going to do congressional oversight. So that's no, we're not. We're going to do it our way. But yes, we are. There it is. So um, I said we would take calls last segment. If you are itching to get in here, the call lines are open at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So let's pivot over to the wall. You know, you've got, and, and there's two things here. First of all, so Senator Marco Rubio, he was with that gang of eight thing that I hated, but he makes an excellent point here about the wall. So the House and and. Democrats in the Senate have said that they only have $1.6 billion that they're willing to allocate towards building the wall. And as you and I know, the president originally asked for $26 million, but he's now reduced that request to five. I, no, I'm sorry. It's $26 billion that he asked for. And he's now reduced that request to $5 billion. And the $5 billion, I don't know if that's like the minimum amount needed to get the minimum amount of wall in between the areas where there's no wall at all. But whatever it's for, it's a reduced amount, greatly reduced, and there's the, the money is there for it. And you don't have to cut off any of the Democrats' favorite programs to get it done. The money is there. But the Democrats are saying they only have $1.5 billion for it, like they gave last year, $1.5 billion, which is pure silliness. So Marco Rubio makes a point about it that I love it when people use pictorial illustrations and, and analogies because it really paints a picture for you. You can get you can get it in your brain that this is or isn't going to work. So here is Senator Rubio number three. The thing is, people view this as, oh, well, if you take half, that should be enough. You need enough to finish it. It's like if I came to you and said, all right, I have a house for sale, but I'll only sell you the second floor, but not the first floor. And you're like, well, I can't have a second floor without a first floor. The wall similar to that. Having a partial wall is not enough. This is a project that's designed to flow traffic. What you want to do is you want to cut off areas where people can cross so that they can only cross in certain places. Yep. And then you can monitor those places. So if the wall is not built all 800 miles, if you don't have the entire 
system in place, none of it works. It's not one of those things where you can have half of it. Half of it is as good as none of it. And the purpose of a wall is not to keep people out per se, but to funnel the people that are allowed to come in to make sure they are entering through points of entry that we can monitor for everything from human trafficking to drugs and contraband right. and vice versa. And, 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 and so that, it's actually safer for everybody. That is the purpose of the wall. That's the reason why we have all those little barricades and stuff at TSA. So people have to walk through a line and you can monitor people when they walk through the line at the airport. Whoa. It's a very similar concept. Mm. It is. Because um, who among us would even entertain the idea of buying part of a house? I mean, no, none of us would. Now, if he was talking about a condo, but you still have to have access through the first floor. You, you're not going to take one of those little, um, the, the little teacups that they, the electricians use that lifts them up and they, they go and do electrical work and then they lower back down. Who's going to rent one of those to keep out front to get up and down from the first the ground to the second floor? You're going to buy access. And just giving him a little teensy bit of funding is just a way of making sure that they can say, well, we funded the wall and look what he's been able to do with it. Nothing. He's just built these tiny little structures or he's, it's not finished. They know if they give him what he's asked for, he'll get it done because he's a construction guy. Donald Trump is used to completing projects on time and under budget, sometimes even early. And they're beautiful projects. And I, I, I think it's one of the things that the media doesn't get about Donald Trump is when he uh, was talking about the wall and he was saying Mexico was going to fund it. He said it was a big, beautiful wall. And it was going to be big and beautiful, the best wall you've ever seen. He's actually not kidding about that. He's not actually, uh, that's not vernacular for him. When he says it's going to be the biggest, prettiest wall, he's talking about using the prototypes that are actually physically attractive to build a wall on the southern border that's also technologically savvy and does the job of keeping invaders out. And it's going to look good. I think it's kind of funny that people don't see that about him. Like after all this time, they don't get it. They, people still don't get Trump speak. I think it's kind of, uh, it's entertaining. It's, 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 you listen to him and you're like, oh my goodness, did you hear what he just said? It flies over the head of a lot of people, I think. So now let me set this up for you. You've got this, uh, so Sinclair Broadcasting, they are a conservative-leaning organization that owns about 200 television stations in the country. Now, for the record, there are around 1,800 television stations in America. We're talking about the local TV stations. So 1,800 television stations smattered across the 50 states, and Sinclair owns 200. So there's your perspective on how impactful anything they might do is. So any television network, radio networks as well, have must-run programming. And must-run means that they give you the package. The package is created at one television station in a studio, and that package is distributed to some of the network or all of it, and it's must-run, meaning they have to find the three or four minutes or two minutes or 60 seconds or whatever it is to slide that programming in. And if that means cutting off some other reporter's favorite dog sweater of the day, then so be it. That's not going to run today. This is must-run. It's got to run. And the program director will make sure that happens, our executive producer for TV. So um, they have this must-run segment, and it's a commentary from an individual who actually thought it was pretty entertaining. He talks about the tear gassing of migrants and the fact that we need a wall. And the left is losing their mind over 200 stations airing this content when there are 1,800 stations and all of the cable except Fox News is controlled by the Democrats. But this is how much they value complete and utter echo chamber status where you cannot get access to information that disagrees with what they believe. They don't want to hear it. So here he is. Uh, it's number one. The migrant crisis on our southern border has greatly escalated. This past weekend, okay. the United States We're going to listen to it when we get back. Well, this is what we'll do. We'll hold it over until after our next interview. We're going to have Jordan Chambly, head editor for Engage, I, I kind of missed time that a little bit, but that's okay. We're still going to get to hear it. We'll be right back with more. Stay here.
Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, our tours each year fill up quickly. And so I'm letting you know now, uh, don't tell anybody else now, that the uh, 2019 Spiritual Heritage Tours are planned for June and for September. So if you want to go this year, that is 2019, you need to let us know as soon as you can. Visit the website spiritualheritagetours.com. spiritualheritagetours.com. Again, those are two separate trips, one to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown, and the other one to Washington, D.C. and George Washington's Mount Vernon. Stephen McDowell, who's the president and founder of the Providence Foundation, is our historian, and he'll be on both trips telling us the behind the scenes and the stories of who, what, when, and why. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. When the Internet was growing, we often heard promises that the World Wide Web would usher in a digital utopia. It would connect diverse communities and promote democratic values across the world. Fred Bauer, in a recent article, suggests that the dream of digital equality has become a nightmare. In some ways, social media has fulfilled some of its promises. Every person can have a platform and can theoretically connect with people around the world. You don't have to master some of the complex computer codes that many of us had to learn decades ago. The user-friendly platforms make it possible for just about anyone to build a platform and establish a digital community. But the harsh reality is that these social media platforms have coalesced around a small number of powerful players. These high-tech giants have immense power in determining which voices are heard and which are eliminated. Sometimes it's done by human actions, but often it is accomplished by shifting algorithms that determine who can be heard and who is eliminated. We often hear about the social media mobs that demonstrate a mob mentality towards views and people they dislike. But Fred Bauer explains that many of these movements are not bottom-up affairs. They are social media pressure campaigns harnessed by people who already have significant platforms. They merely pick out targets for their followers to attack and collaborate with others in order to make their message seem larger than it actually may be. His article is a reminder that many of these online battles and social media should not be seen as a reaction from the people, but actually orchestrated campaigns against selected targets. This isn't the Internet we were promised a few decades ago, and it's worth understanding how activists are using social media today against many of us. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, welcome back to the program. It is a pleasure to be with you. Find us online at Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram and StacyOnTheRight.com. You can also go to Urban Family Talk and American Family Radio's site is AFR.net. So hit those up. Check them out. Thanks for being here today. It's my pleasure to welcome Jordan Chambly, head editor for Engage Magazine, to talk with us about the Orange Letter campaign. Jordan, thank you for joining in today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's talk about this. The 2019 Orange Letter campaign, Mm -hmm. we're teaming up. It's AFA and Engage Magazine teaming up with Uncharted Ministries Mm -hmm. and Voice of the Martyrs to bless Christian widows in Nigeria. Can you first tell us about the timeline of how this came to be at all? Yeah, the Orange Letter campaign started um, in 2015 where um, we were partnering with uh, E3 Partners and Tom Doyle of E3 Partners, and we were just talking. We were like, wouldn't it be really cool to be able to connect our audience uh, to a way to reach out to persecuted Christians around the world. And this is sort of on the tailcoats of when uh, the video went viral of the 21 Coptic Christians um, being beheaded um, by ISIS on uh, the beaches in uh, Egypt. And so the orange of their jumpsuits in that video became sort of a, a rallying point for people, uh, for Christians on social media to show their solidarity uh, for persecuted Christians around the world. So that was an opportunity for us to create the Orange Letter Campaign, and that's our effort to um, get letters from our audience and uh, translate them into whatever language we need to translate them into and get them into the hands of uh, persecuted Christians. All right, so what is it that you're asking Mm -hmm. the good people of American Family Radio to do? Yeah, uh, well, 
First of all, I would say um, if you want to participate, please pray and uh, spend time in uh, the Word. And uh, from the overflow of that, uh, write your letter, and it, it can be a prayer, it can be scripture, it can be a personal letter from you, and then send that to orange at afa.net, and that's the color orange at afa.net. And we will uh, turn that over to Uncharted Ministries. They'll translate it if need be, and then they will hand-deliver these letters to the widows in Nigeria. Mm. Mm-hmm. So this is impactful in what way? To talk to the listeners about what their letter will be, what, what it means to the people mm-hmm. who receive it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, um, one of our previous uh, campaigns, when uh, we went to um, Syria, the, we uh, reached out to the Christians in Syria. Um, the response from that was phenomenal and really affecting us and our team on a personal level. Um, when uh, Tom, Tom Doyle of E3 Partners came back and said that the, the, uh, the people clutched the letters and, 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 and sobbed over them, and they just never had that connection to uh, the church international before. And, um, I mean, you can imagine living in a place uh, like Syria where most of these people don't have access to things like the Internet, and um, they're just sort of whatever is local, that's their world. And suddenly the body of Christ comes together and reaches out to them. And they had no idea we had any idea what was going on with them. And so for them to know that we were praying for them and that we were thinking of them, it really um, did a lot for them to strengthen them and encourage them in their faith. And then uh, when we heard that report from uh, Tom and his team, it did the same for us. We were encouraged to, to to keep pressing on and to be and to follow the example of those people who are living in much more dire situations than we are. And when we say dire situations, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, listeners are aware of what's going on um, in Syria, the you know war-torn right. country. A lot of Syrians are reluctantly coming to the United States and other nations right. to kind of wait out the, the end of this because they want to they return to their homeland. Mm-hmm. And um, But they're, when you say they're literally kind of gobsmacked by this idea mm-hmm. that Christians from somewhere else know their plight, they're assuming that they're suffering alone, that yeah. they don't that they don't have anyone who knows what's going on with them. And so the letters represent literally it's it's like saying, We see you, we know you're there, we're praying for you. Mm-hmm. And they need this encouragement. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and and again, like the effect on us, and this was totally unexpected. The effect on us was um, very, very profound, and uh, just reading the 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 report that came back from when they handed over the letters, um, we had no idea that it would affect us the way it did. So people can send an emailed letter. Mm-hmm. So they, there's not it doesn't have to be a paper one. Right. You can type it mm-hmm. out. About how long would you recommend the letter is? Because you're a lot of people will kind of say, right. "Well, what do I like? How how long should it be?" You know. <laughs> It can, it can be pretty short. It, it doesn't have to be long at all. Um, if you want to do a paragraph or two, uh, that that's uh, more than enough. And honestly, uh, anything, any 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 thought or any prayer from you is is very effective when when it's put into the hands of these people. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So the place to send your email is orange, mm-hmm. like the actual fruit, orange. Right at afa.net. You can shoot that off while you're listening to the rest of the mm-hmm. show or while you're you know, doing something else and you're already on your laptop, just quickly shoot out what you feel like God has on your heart to encourage these Christians who are in war-torn countries mm-hmm. and, and really experiencing things that we as Americans, we don't have to worry about these things. We don't have to deal with these things. And uh, so it, it is, it's something that we can do to encourage them. Mm-hmm. And it's something simple and easy and fast and um, it's free also. It doesn't mm-hmm. cost any money. Right. That's exactly right. And the the situation in Nigeria, too, I mean, we have articles up on EngageMagazine.net if uh, people want to go and get some context. Um, but the situation in Nigeria is interesting. The northern half of Nigeria is under Sharia law for the most part. And so that kind of frames uh, the idea of what those Christians are going through. 
So how do they get the letters when they're living under Sharia? Because when I was in Saudi Arabia, they opened all of my mail that my parents and my then at the time, my husband was my boyfriend. That they yeah. sent everything they sent to me was opened and read before mm. they sent it on to me actually in the country. Yeah. Well, I, I say the northern half is under Sharia law. The southern half is actually very secular and um, and modernized in a lot of ways. So um, I'm sure uh, when Uncharted goes over there to um, hand deliver the letters, they'll probably go through the southern half. Um, and, and again, like. Uh, one of our previous campaigns that we did when we, we focused on North Korea, we had to be pretty creative and um, broadcast, um, basically hijack the airwaves of North Korea from South Korea and uh, broadcast the letters that way. So there's there's ways of getting in. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is uh, this is like guerrilla Christianity, <laughs> listeners. You can yeah. get involved in some of that. If you're like me and you have mm-hmm. a little bit of a militant side to you that sometimes <laughs> rears its head and you have to tamp it down, this is one of those chances. Here's an you outlet. send an email and then you never know what uh, Jordan and his <laughs> team are going to do to get your email into the hands of the person you're sending it to. They may hijack airwaves. They may <laughs> drop letters, you know, like just drop them out of the sky. They may send them in with drones. We don't know what Jordan and his team are going to do, but we do know they're determined to get the letters mm-hmm. there. They're praying over them, and they're going to accomplish their mission. Mm-hmm. So a uh, quick, quick note of encouragement to a fellow Christian in a foreign land. Uh, I believe that's how we store up our uh, mm. blessings in heaven because God sees that. And that encouragement, it means so much to these people Good Christians who aren't blessed to live in a land like we live in where we can just go to Bible study. We want to get encouraged. We can just go online. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can buy cards. We can do whatever we want. Um, so it's it's a great time to participate. And especially for the kickoff of the Christmas season, orange at AFA.net is where you can send your letter. And what's the website for Engage Magazine again? It's EngageMagazine.net. And all the information uh, about the campaign is there. Perfect. Mm-hmm. All right, Jordan, thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you. Yeah. Blessings on everything. I know it's going to be awesome. And let us know if you're using drones or some other uh, alternative method. We're, it we're might be classified. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I think I have clearance. Are you kidding me? I have clearance. I know All I right. do. Yeah. I know I do. Mm-hmm. All right, Jordan, thank you All so right, much. Thank you. All right. Talk to you again soon. Jordan Chambly, head editor for Engage Magazine, engagemagazine.net is where you can find out more. The website again is, or the email address again is orange at afa.net. Um, So good, so good to have him doing that and really a great way for us to encourage each other. Um, You know, we just, it's not, it's not abnormal. It's not really a sin, if you will. We are blessed and we take it for granted because it's just our normal everyday situation. But um, we have an opportunity to participate in uplifting others. So really be great to, to take part in that. So now I did prep you about this. It's it's basically a quick little news hit that this guy does on a regular basis. And there's there's nothing in and of itself that's so scary about what he's saying, except he's not presenting the position of the mainstream leftist media. What he's saying is that it is fine. Um, it's fine for us to have a wall. It's fine for us to defend our border with tear gas. So listen to him. It's, it's an interesting piece that he has here. It's um, number one. The migrant crisis on our southern border has greatly escalated. This past weekend, the United States was forced to temporarily close a major point of entry in San Diego, California, in response to hundreds of migrants attempting to storm the U.S.-Mexico border in hopes of claiming asylum. Dozens of migrants attacked U.S. border enforcement by throwing rocks and bottles. Ultimately, American authorities had to use tear gas to stop the attacks. Some on the left, such as Democrat Congresswoman Maxine Waters, were immediately up in arms about our president and his team standing up for our men and women in uniform and for our national security. The fact of the matter is that this is an attempted invasion of our country, period. Our border must remain intact and secure. It is not a partisan position to believe that our immigration system is broken and needs to be fixed. However, it unfortunately appears that there are many on the left who believe it is wrong to defend our country and abide by the rule of law. I would bet that many of those same people live behind walls and locked doors, but do not want to afford the same benefit to our country as a whole. Here's the bottom line. 
the notion that a caravan of migrants can be allowed to break through our borders is ludicrous and dangerous. The United States of America should not and cannot be intimidated by those willing to use force to get into our country illegally. Okay, so let's 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 break this down. First of all, who are you listening to? His name's Boris Epstein, and he has this segment called Bottom Line with Boris, and it has the word commentary under it, so it's his opinion. And he's just sharing this on his local station, but it was a good segment, and so they made it a, rest, a must run, and it ran on the 200 stations. Now, listen, 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 Linda, listen. Um, if you disagree with him, good for you. That's the way I feel about people who disagree with me here. Good for you. I mean, just disagree. Why don't you go ahead? But to say that it's a fascist commentary. Well, who's saying that media matters. Media matters took a clip of the segment and tweeted it out and had all of Twitter upset over the fact that he was allowed to say this on TV. And all he's saying is the same stuff that most Americans say like, so we we had some interesting uh, experiences with neighbors before. And at one point, we lived at, a, at a, a house that the fencing was, it was just like the same width as the house, if you will. If you can imagine a lot being of whatever shape it is, it was kind of like an irregular rectangle. But the, sh- the house itself was a, a very nice little rectangle with another box on the end. The box was the garage. It was a smaller home. And the fence had been set up so that it went straight out from the sides of the house where the garage ends and where the right side of the house ends. And it just went straight out. And so when we had our survey done, we noticed that the lot was a lot wider than the fence. And our kids at the time when we moved into this place were five, four, and two. And so I wanted them to be able to have the run of the yard without having them outside of our property because we lived on at, and at that house we lived on a on a road. It wasn't super busy, but it was definitely not a cul-de-sac situation where you only have three or four cars coming in and out. And so we set about moving our fence. And when we took the fence down, and it was old and rickety and it was garbage anyway. So we took the old fence down. The first thing that happened was three or four of our neighbors that lived around us said, and a couple of them had fences and a couple of them didn't. Why don't you leave the fence down because we really like the wide open spacey feel that that has ensued since your house no longer has a fence. And my husband was like, no, we're putting the fence back up because we we need that fencing so that, you know, first of all, for the kids and also if we get a dog. And so our neighbor across the street was an older couple. The husband was into training. He was like doing tr- military training. He was a civilian, but he was a contractor training U.S. military uh, troops abroad in the Middle East. And he would travel and come back. And they were both retired from their original jobs, but they were still doing pr- pr- very active people. And I remember sitting at her house one day. She'd, she'd come, stopped by and she said, make sure and stop by later. So I sw- just went right across the street to her house and we were talking and she's much older than we are. And I told her that a bunch of our neighbors had asked us not to put up a fence. And she said, well, they're asking you not to put up a fence around your property. And I said, yeah, they're saying that, you know, the lack of a fence is really spacious and it looks nice. She said, always remember a good fence is a good neighbor. And I, I said, what? She said, a good fence is a good neighbor. That's a good slogan for you to remember. Just keep that in your back pocket. A good fence is a good neighbor. And then we moved on and talked about other things. And she was so right because that's why people have fences. Because if you don't have a fence around your property, people who might want some of your property can move the boundaries and adjust your property. And the next time it's surveyed, it will change. And what can you say? That's not where it was before. You show them the old survey and they're going to say, well, this is where the marker is now. The rebar is here now. It's good to have a fence. And that's just on the personal level for one little family of five and neighbors, you know, five neighbors surrounding the house. This is our country that we're trying to defend here. This is our very prosperity that we are leaving up to whoever wants to come in. And I guess I can understand people having this lax attitude about it if nothing but sugar plum fairies and unicorns and care bears were coming through the the border. I'd be like, well, I mean, it does seem like a lot of money to spend to stop those type of people out. But we have MS-13 gang members, Bangladeshis, Middle Easterners, and the worst kind of ne'er-do-wells coming over intermingled with people who are looking for work and want a better life. Notice I said there were people who are looking for a better life coming over as well. No situation is ever 100%, oh my goodness, that's just, you know, there's always some human 
aspect to it. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't have a wall. All right, when we get back, we'll have the last segment of the show. We're going to talk about Judge Tom Farr and Tim Scott. Senator Tim Scott weighs in on that. Stay there. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. We've seen God open up so many doors for us to help serve and love those who get affected by a natural disaster. As the trees and the wind started crashing down around us, my wife was, of course, very diligently praying, you know, Lord, please be with us. Very simply, we do it because God commands us to love others. I see these volunteers all as a gift from God. And I'm just grateful they're here, you know, helping out. It's a blessing. If you're interested in becoming a part of what God's doing through 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com, click on Get Involved, submit your email address. I've noticed that whenever there's a time in my life when um, things might be a little gloomy, the number one thing that I can do is to go serve somebody. And uh, I would encourage anyone else to, uh, it's worth it. Come out and do it next time if you didn't make it to this one. And, um, The Father will really bless you in it. Thank you so much for your prayers and volunteering with 8 Days of Hope. As we all know, Jesus is the reason for the season. But sadly, there are some folks who don't. Join the American Family Association and spread the word by ordering our Keep Christ in Christmas wristbands. You can purchase them in sets of 10. And if you buy more, you'll save more. Order by December 14th to receive them just in time for Christmas. You can share them with anyone. We just want to remind people that you can't have Christmas without Christ. Order yours now at afastore.net. Nothing can get done in the United States Senate for good unless we end the legislative filibuster. We're urging you today to call your senator and ask them to end the legislative filibuster so that we can defund Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion provider in America. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202 224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. Or go to afaaction.net. I'm Hank Weinblum, seeking refuge from Thanksgiving leftovers with your word of the week. It's a concept that dates back to the beginning of civilization. Migrants seeking asylum. Asylum. Someone who is persecuted in their own country seeks the protection of another country. President Trump recently signed a proclamation that bans immigrants from seeking asylum if they enter the U.S. illegally. The idea of asylum was understood by the ancient Egyptians and Hebrews. The word is rooted in Greek for refuge. It became a tenet of Christianity 1,500 years ago when anyone, including criminals, could take asylum in a church. If they apply for asylum, we're going to hold them. Asylum implies protection for those who need it, such as mentally ill people. That's how the term insane asylum came into use. Coming here for a better job, better life doesn't qualify for asylum. So you can request asylum, but that doesn't mean you'll get it. And if they don't get asylum, they get out. With your Word of the Week, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The fact of the matter is that we can agree to disagree on a specific nominee. Uh, I don't remember all those folks coming out and saying, good job when I shot down an administration appointment to the courts just about two or three months Mm -hmm. ago. So I'm going to take my hits, and frankly, that comes with the territory. At the end of the day, my goal is to do the right thing. One of the reasons why I called and spoke to the author of the DOJ memo from 28 years ago was to understand and appreciate what role Tom Farr played in the Helms campaign. Mm -hmm. If he was the architect of that nasty racist campaign, I would have been a no without any question. What I found so far from appointees of the Obama administration to my conversations with the author of the memo is that he was in fact not the architect of the campaign and that the character witnesses from the Obama administration coming forward on behalf of Tom, Tom uh, Farr have been pretty strong. But I am continuing my research because the thing I hold myself accountable for is doing the right thing, not the politically acceptable, not the politically expedient, but the right thing based on the evidence. And so far, the evidence is pointing me towards the vote that I took today. And I will continue this uh, journey through the night and into tomorrow and make the best decision I can and sleep with 
with a good conscience. And that was Senator uh, Tim Scott talking about his vote to move at one of the judge judicial candidates out of committee to the general floor for a vote. And his name's Tom Farr. He has actually been through the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing uh, for to be a nominee. He is up for the position of judge on the United States District Court for the Eastern District of North Carolina. And, um, you know, he's been kind of waiting for this to go through for quite some time now. Now, we know the Democrats will stop at nothing to derail nominations of qualified individuals and that the race card will be tossed. But the Kavanaugh hearing really introduced us to a new level of low from the Democrats in in that they were willing to assassinate the character of an innocent man and to completely call into question the concept of innocent until proven guilty, which every black person in America should have their ears should have been up and burning thinking, what? wait a minute now. Now, wait a minute, you know, because any person can call out their own political party. That is what we are supposed to do. Um, rather than saying, well, I'm no longer a Democrat, I'm an independent, but you're still voting with them lockstep. How about just calling them out? How about just saying you can't have my votes as long as you're calling into question that a man or a woman who's an American citizen isn't innocent until proven guilty. That's despotic. That is a dictatorship type of an attitude. Instead of saying it's Donald Trump who is a dictator, how about the Democrats are trying to usher in a dictatorship where the word of one person can send you to jail for the rest of your life or even the death penalty because you're not innocent until proven guilty. That's gulag status. That's North Korea. That's China. That's not America. So you've got this nominee. His name's Tom Farr. He's from North Carolina. He was appointed by President Trump for a vacancy on the U.S. District Court that sits in Raleigh. And... It's the site that that location is the site of multiple fights over election process laws and congressional redistricting. So it's a hotbed for political activity that the Democrats want to control. The seat has been vacant since 2006. Not 2016, 2006. It's the longest vacancy on the federal bench nationwide And Farr is experiencing ritual defamation by Democrats. Now, what is it that he's done? Well, the unpardonable sin of representing the state of North Carolina and defending North Carolina's voter ID and election integrity laws. uh, He 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 went there. He also. um, He also believes in voter ID. Now, Democrats think that voter ID is the second coming of Jim Crow because they don't think black people are smart enough to be able to get an identification, whether it's a card or a piece of paper or a postcard. We blacks, we just don't have those skills. We don't have the necessary documentation because we're all older than 99 years old or we're just too dumb to be able to get an ID, even though we use banks and we check books out of the library and we have driver's licenses because we drive cars. Uh, Even though we work at places that issue us paper checks where you need to have a bank account in order to cash your check or even if you're going to one of those kind of secondary banks at Walmart or somewhere and you go there, you still need some ID to be able to cash your check. But everyone else in America can do that except blacks. When a black person is asked for their ID, that's because the person who's asking is some kind of Jim Crow racist who wants to put black folks in chains. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what Democrats think about us black folks. Please tell me again why any black person would allow that kind of racist statement to stand about them and would then reward the person making that statement, the party making that statement by giving them their vote. I just don't get that at all. So you've got Charles Schumer, Democrat from New York, uh, North Carolina political activist William Barber. They've tried to scuttle yet again, second time, the uh, actual seating of this qualified, competent individual in this empty seat. They've leaked internal confidential Department of Justice memorandums regarding the 1990 campaign of North Carolina Senator Jesse Helms. The problem with the leaking of that memorandum is that it actually exonerates far from the racial smears that they're trying to make stick. The memorandum is about a legally dubious case against the North Carolina Republican Party under the voter intimidation provisions of the Voter Rights Act. The department alleged that a targeted card mailed to black voters was voter intimidation. Now, 
Helms defendants quickly settled the case in 1990. Since then, intervening case law and decisions by the DOJ, such as the dismissal of portions of the new Black Panther voter intimidation case, call into question the viability of the theory the DOJ advanced back in 1990. The leaked confidential memo was used as a weapon inside DOJ by ideologically motivated department lawyers, some of whom now work for left-wing advocacy groups. They wanted to advance an overly expansive approach to federal power that could intrude on some forms of political speech, namely any speech by a Republican, racial, any speech by a Democrat, edifying to the body and should be repeated numerous times, forced onto people whether they want to hear it or not. Yet the leaked memo amazingly demonstrates that Farr advised the Helms campaign against the activities that gave rise to the DOJ action. The memo reveals that Farr specifically advised against the card mailings to voters and other activities that originally drew the DOJ scrutiny. So Farr was against the mailers, and that is what the leaked memo from the DOJ proves. Also, testimony from Democrats and Republicans who worked in the DOJ at the time fully exonerate Farr. And that's what you heard Senator Tim Scott discussing just there in that clip, is that he actually went the extra mile in his role as a member of the Senate panel that helps with these nominations, he went the extra mile to actually interview people from that time frame to talk to them about whether or not Tom Farr was instrumental in making sure that this mailer went out, had any racial animus any at, at any point that they could prove and point to, and everything else having to do with this incident. He wanted to know for himself, so he made the phone calls and did the interviews himself. So what we know about Senator Tim Scott is that even if it's unpopular, if it has to do with racial animus, he's going to take the side of not supporting racial animus. He's also not afraid to stand alone as the only black senator in the entire Senate and say, I'm voting for this nominee, whether he's white or whatever his background, because the person is innocent. So he has a really strong record of taking stances that are true and honorable and upright he has integrity, and we can trust that if he says he talked to these people, he did. And I, I can tell you, I've, I've actually talked to Senator Tim Scott on the telephone before. And what I found about him is he has a gentle, quiet spirit, and the man fears and loves God. He is, he's, he's one of those guys. And it's just so crazy that the left thinks they can defame Tom Farr in the same way they tried to defame uh, you know, uh, Kavanaugh, but that they are also now attacking Tim Scott, which is, is their normal routine. They regularly attack him, but that they're attacking him about this. It's so hollow and so lame. And that's why I decided to have it on the show today to talk about it to you. So when you hear about this, you, obviously, if you're anything like me, you're dismissing it anyway. You're like, oh, another died in the wool racist that we're just finding out about after he spent years in the public eye. But if you're listening to it and you're thinking, wow, one of our senators who happens to be black is defending this man and he's, but you know, what's the backstory? Well, that's the backstory. There is no backstory. Tom Farr thought that the mailings that they were sending out, whether they were racially motivated or not, were a horrible idea and he advised against it. And it's on the record, thank God for him, that he did keep records and that records were maintained so that he could prove his innocence in this smear. These smears should be rebuked. In the same way that Kavanaugh's attempted derailment was rebuked. Democrats should be called on the carpet for doing this or trying to do this yet again. Tom Farr has been chosen in the past to represent North Carolina in multiple election law cases because he is a top shelf lawyer, just the kind we want on the federal bench. The American Bar Association, after an extensive peer review process and investigation, unanimously awarded Farr a well-qualified rating twice. Of course, the ABA has never been accused of a conservative bias. According to the ABA, Farr's rating signifies that the nominee must be at the top of the legal profession in his or her legal community, having outstanding legal abilities, breadth of experience, and the highest reputation for integrity, and demonstrate the capacity for sound judicial temperament. Some of Farr's most prominent critics, however, uh, have been quite embarrassingly shown to be wolf criers when the nominees are conservative. 
they executed a similarly egregious and fake action against Jeff Sessions. Courts have rebuked their racial smear campaigns in the past, and the Senate should do the same and confirm Tom Farr this week. And I, I, I really, I truly believe that. And it's not so much, uh, you know, I've said many times on the show, it's not that racism doesn't exist. It's that there's no way that people are racist their entire careers and, and behaving in that way openly where people know about it and no one notices it until they're up for a federal bench appointment. You see what I'm saying? If a person is a racist, they're getting shut down and not being allowed to advance well before that because people who honestly care about um, equal treatment aren't going to work with them and help them advance. That much we know because we haven't ha- been able to substantiate any of these claims thus far. The system that's been put in place is actually working. Of course, it's flawed because humans are involved, but I'm just so tired of this being the only thing that we can, you know, that's the only accusation that can stand is that someone's a racist. Really? So um, now I want to talk about this life expectancy story. And I found this interesting because um, this is from the National Center for Health Statistics. And they're talking about how we're losing too many Americans too early and too often from conditions that are preventable. And this is a continuation of a trend, which is a warning for us that our country has not found a way of addressing the profound needs of the people who are actually dying. And that's a quote from Eric Kane, a professor of psychology and director of the Injury Control Research Center for Suicide Prevention at the University of Rochester Medical Center. He goes on to say, while the economy may be recovering at the macro level, it's very uncertain whether it's affecting the lives of these particular people. The U.S. has lost three-tenths of a year in life expectancy since 2014, which is a stunning reversal for a developed nation. It lags far behind other wealthy nations. Life expectancy in Japan is 84.1 years. Switzerland, we know why, because Switzerland's awesome, 83.7 years. And they are number one and number two on the list. The U.S. ranks 29th on the list. Bob Anderson is the chief of the Mortality Statistics Branch of the CDC and said it's significant. It doesn't seem like a lot, but in terms of human cost, you've got a lot of life that's not being lived. White men and women fared the worst, along with black men, all of whom experienced increases in death rates. Death rates rose in particular for adults aged 25 to 44. Suicide rates are the highest among people in the nation's most rural areas. On the other hand, deaths declined for black and Hispanic women and remain the same for Hispanic men. These sobering statistics are a wake-up call that we're losing too many Americans. That's according to Robert Redfield. So things that are impacting these numbers are drug use, suicide, you know, mortality rates. Those have gone up. Deaths from heart disease, the nation's leading killer, actually went down but only slightly, failing to offset the increases in mortality from other causes and prolonging another worrisome trend. It's a decades-long decline in deaths from heart disease brought about by anti-smoking and other public health campaigns that, uh, you know, coupled with medications to control blood pressure and cholesterol, those impacts, positive impacts, have stalled in recent years. And we've even seen heart disease deaths increase slightly since 2015. Um, so what's the answer here? Well, instead of being obsessed with who's a racist or racist whack-a-mole, we should be having our public policy organizations address these concerns, especially the ones for rural Americans, by looking, taking a hard look at what's impacting these things. And then what can we do? Public awareness campaigns are something that the government has within their purview and they should be executed. That's what we need. Inform people. All right. We'll be back with you tomorrow on Friday Friday. Have a blessed evening from the heartland from me to you. Be back with you tomorrow.